The Scoop Podcast, brought to you by Point Park University. Hello and welcome to the Scoop Podcast, presented by Point Park University. I'm Josh Getzoff, alongside the actual inside scoop, who's letting me third wheel here for the uh, season, I guess. Michelle Carcillo, Sam Kassan. Guys, thanks a lot. Hey, thank you. Welcome aboard. Yeah, great to be here. We're excited. This is going to be awesome. I, I think we have a ton of stories to share from over the years, and we can't wait to get started. And one of our first stories comes from a guy that I know everyone's looking forward to hearing from. That's Mike Lang. We're going to have interview subjects uh, all season long. But we all know Mikey is near and dear to our hearts. A lot of people curious about his schedule for this year. We had a chance to talk to him about it. And I know that the three of us are going to share some stories on the other side of what our experience have been like with Mike and what we've learned from him because it's hard not to have memories around Mike Lang and, and to learn and gain experience from him just being in his presence. So I had a chance to sit down with him. Here is that interview right now, our first ever interview on the Scoop Podcast. The true value of a college education is realized after you graduate. Point Park is an affordable private university that's big on return for your investment. When you're prepared, success comes naturally. Surprisingly affordable, that's the point. Point Park University, downtown Pittsburgh. This is the Scoop Podcast here on the Penguins Radio Network, and we now welcome in our first ever guest. You know, you, you want to start high with your guests. I don't know if we can yeah. start higher with this one. Is the Hall of Famer, Mike Lang. Mikey, thanks for taking some time with us. Well, it's my pleasure, Josh and Michelle and Sam. Uh, thanks for having me on the Scoop. I love it. I love the name of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty pretty easy choice, right, when you hear the names involved? Yeah, it works, uh, it works for me, and I think the fans are going to be, uh, you know— uh, appreciative of what comes out of uh, this podcast yeah we're looking forward to bringing it to everybody all year it'll be fun we'll have some different angles here and there and we figured you'd be a good person to start with because not many people have a better perspective on this uh, current Penguins team just in everything that's happened over the years and I guess we can kind of start with our conversation just looking back at the last year which was the first summer not to sound spoiled that I've been here that I haven't had a Stanley Cup championship Borky always calls me Yager because mm-hmm. the first two years I was here, they won both years. He kind of says, says to keep myself in check with that, and I do. Yeah. But now I've seen what it's like when you don't win, and it's a little different around here when you're coming back trying to knock another team off as opposed to being the team everyone else is trying to knock Well, off. I think what it, what it really emphasizes to me is, is and, and I've always known this because uh, of the journeys that we've had. We've had five trips to the, to the finals uh, where we won the Cup and one other one. Mm-hmm. But it is such a special thing to be able to accomplish that, uh, that journey. And... When you do it, uh, you know what it takes, and there's a lot of effort involved. But you have to remember, there's only one team that wins it out of 31. That's it every year, one out of 31. Those numbers don't stack well against you. It is hard to to be able to accomplish it and do it. And what the Penguins have done and been successful with for so many years is, first of all, making the playoffs, which is a gigantic step. Most people don't really realize how hard it is, particularly in the game today where you almost have to have 100 points. Well, you did last <laughs> close year. Close to 50 right? yeah. points to win, uh, to get into a playoff spot, just to qualify to get a chance to win the Cup. So it's it's not an easy chore. And, uh, you know, uh, they've been so successful. They've had two great Cup runs. They got to a second round. And I honestly think if they beat Washington in Game 6, they win the Stanley Cup again. Uh, that's my personal feeling because of uh, uh, the way the Caps were playing. They were the best team, I thought, uh, in the playoffs, and they went right through and and uh, were able to establish themselves as a cup winner. So th- there's a lot to be positive uh, uh, on the Penguin side and what they accomplished, and I, I still think that they've got some opportunity here uh, to be successful and possibly uh, repeat and go back and uh, hoist the cup again. But uh, don't be dismayed. I mean, that's not the end of the world <laughs> that you got to a second round and you got eliminated 
there were uh, 30 other teams that uh, had the same feeling that, that last year. Yeah, and you mentioned the playoff appearances. I mean, what, 12 years in a row now for yeah. the Penguins. That's When you think about the current streaks, that's by far the longest. It's pretty impressive. You watch the Chicago Blackhawks kind of yeah. take a dip last year after having their uh, dynastic run, I guess you could say, shattered the last couple of years. And Penguins are definitely in a class of their own as far as the consistency itself is concerned. And then you look at this year's team, and, I mean, you and I talked about this at the radio summit with Borky, and, that's a team that, on paper, a lot of things can happen in an 82-game yeah. season, as you know more than any many, I should say. But on paper, this is a team that, that poses a serious threat to contend once again. I don't think there's any question. I mean, you go through it man by man uh, in what they have. Uh, you know, the, the I always tell people every year at this time, uh, particularly, uh, everybody's kind of looking at teams and they've got them in the same mode as they were a year ago, okay? The down-and-out teams, the Buffalo uh, mm-hmm. Florida, maybe even even others that don't uh, make the playoffs consistently, and they've already got them kind of written off. Even the Islanders. But here's the thing, folks: you don't know how much they've improved, and what that year of experience did for their young players. And they are going to get better. I'm sorry, they are going to get better. And you're not in that category right now. And so that's the the unknown part about going into a season. That's a good point. Uh, there may be other good established teams. I mean, even. Uh, even a Tampa Bay, even a Boston that's been pretty successful could take a step back. Toronto, everybody's got them written in as a cup winners now. They're going down Young Street at the moment, <laughs> you know. But I got news for you. You got to earn it, and it's a lot more than what uh, uh, what people think. And uh, they've got a lot of young players. They may be ready. I don't know. But there, there are so many question marks going into each and every year, uh, contrary to what the, the so-called experts uh, have in their brain as to who is going to improve and who may drop back a little bit. So that'll be the fun part. It always is, really, on every year watching teams. And the Penguins could be in that category. I mean, it it took a lot of points to make the playoffs last year. Who knows? It may be such a balanced uh, league that it may not take as many points uh, this year to to, to succeed and and get into that playoff spot. And we've seen time and time again um, that the value of of a division winner is great, I mean, for home ice. But it, 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 I remember Rod Brindamore telling me about eight, nine years ago in the locker room and everything, and maybe the last time they made the playoffs. I was about to when say they were it's in. been right, about that right, long. Right, right, yeah. right. And he said and they were fighting for it. They were fighting to get in, and, and, he, and he said, all you want to do is get a chance, get a chance to be in the playoffs. And, and he said, that's our goal right now if we get in there because anything and everything can happen. And we've seen lower teams come in and knock people off. So that's important is to make the playoffs first and foremost is, is not an easy chore. And I think that's the, the goal really for most teams. Well, it is such a difference year to year. I mean, if you and I would have sat here last season and said, hey, the Colorado Avalanche, after just barely clipping up 40 points the year before, are going to make the playoffs, people would have probably put us in straight jackets and locked the door in here. But uh, or Vegas. Vegas, yeah, <laughs> Vegas, that's true. Vegas, everyone looked at them last year and thought, okay, maybe this is a, a competitive team. 20 wins. Yeah. Well, they were, what, three wins from the Stanley Cup. So right. they, they were pretty darn good yeah. uh, last season. But that's that's such a good point by Brindamore, too, because you think about the L.A. Kings not too long ago as an 8C going and winning the Cup. It, Philadelphia. It they right. got in. Uh, that's true. You know, the last game of the season. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it it's uh, – and they're so bunched. And I, I did say at this uh, summit we had – a. And a thing you have to realize, folks, that the Penguins were a team that won almost 50 games again last year, right? And they only got in the playoffs by four points, <laughs> and they had to be pretty strong down the stretch to make that happen. 
because Florida was coming strong. So that's how hard it is to really get there, and then you're jockeying your position to uh, to get the, the home ice and, and, and who you will play. So anyway, that's what makes it great. I it's think it, it makes for great hockey. That's the one thing it does. It makes for great hockey when you get down, particularly the last uh, month or two, where every game becomes important. Right. And that's great for the fans and, uh, you know, when you can go to games and really be in, intrigued by them and really want to see uh, the end results. So it's, I, I think the NHL has done a good job of, of, of creating that atmosphere. Definitely. And we're all looking forward to this season right upon us again, another year for the Penguins, yeah. another year for you uh, in the broadcast booth. Before we get to this season in general, though, last year obviously was a little bit different uh, from our broadcast perspective yeah. with, with you taking a bit of a step back from the travel. I was – fortunate enough to get the opportunity to jump into that seat with Borky a handful of games last year I had a blast but what was that year like for you I mean that obviously I was thinking about it I was doing some reading the other day 40 straight years I believe on Penguins broadcast you had since 2006 on the radio with the Pens so that that had to have been a, a bit of an adjustment for you overall too just with everything it is a little bit of an adjustment and uh, I just I got to the point uh, because I put four years in on the minor leagues and I traveled and did every road game I did 40-something-plus years with the Penguins and did every single road game. So it isn't like I'm cheating anybody. <laughs> you know, I, I've been to a few cities, and I've seen a few things. And and, and I just thought at that point uh, that it was just maybe smart to just take a little step back and uh, and see if we, we can't work and work the home games, which we're going to do again this year in the playoff games. So, uh, you know, overall— uh, there are times when I would miss being uh, on the road. It's in your blood. I mean, that's, sure. let's be honest. I can I mean, see why now, honestly. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. in your blood. Uh, so, uh, but I do think it's, it, it's served me well, at least at this point. We're going to try and do the same basic thing that we did last year, maybe 12 or 10 to 15 games on the road, uh, and see how that works out. But uh, well, it was good enough to let me uh, do it again this year. Let's say it. Okay. <laughs> right. So and and it's 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 wonderful really to have somebody step in like yourself uh, to work with a pretty good pro and uh, and Phil Bork and and be able to uh, bring the game and I think you did a terrific job Josh and I'm not here to to put a big star on your shoulder or the anything. money's I'm being just, slipped under the table. No, I'm just telling you I think you did a a heck of a job in Thanks, uh, in doing it and. I'm looking forward, and I enjoy actually listening to the games for the first time in my life. <laughs> yeah, that's you know? true. I didn't even think really, about it like or that. I get a chance to listen to you guys and laugh a little bit at you and uh, <laughs> maybe text them a, stuff, a few things and tell them, you know, like, uh, what about this and what about that? Uh, <laughs> I don't drive them crazy, folks, believe me. He does uh, not. With a few laughs. So, uh, But it, it, it's been good, and I, I hope it's going to be successful, and, and the fans have uh, been appreciative of it. Yeah, we, I mean, we've all enjoyed it. I've been, like I said, I'm really appreciative of the opportunity yeah. and the words mean a yeah, lot. You've earned it. You've earned it. So Thanks, that's, Mikey. That's my feeling, and, uh, uh, and you're taking it, and you're running with it, and you're doing a, a terrific job. But yeah. there's also more to it just beyond the broadcast. You and I were talking before we came on. Uh, the tips that came in weren't just all broadcast-related. You've obviously, as you said, you've seen a lot. You've been to a lot of places, and you, you gave us a couple tips. I'm totally blanking on the name in Washington of that restaurant that I went to eat at. Uh, before they played the Capitals, but it was it was a really small little place, and the bowls I remember for the the Oriental food was overflowing in it, and I was so full that I actually took a nap before the game. Yeah. <laughs> and Steve Mears had the same same. I didn't realize that you had told him the same thing, and we I was telling yeah. him about. It, he said, "Oh, I actually went to the same spot this afternoon. We missed each other, but we were in the same area." Well, you know that's just your travels of uh, using your feet and uh, and moving around, and I'm yeah. not against uh, doing that. 
there's another little place that I might tell you about in D.C. <laughs> that's pretty good, away from the Chinese part of it. But it's a great little restaurant, and uh, and the, the food. And they have a certain dish that a lot of people don't uh, <laughs> prepare uh, in Pittsburgh or, or, or a lot of places, and it's Singapore May Fun. And uh, I love it, absolutely love it. And it's got a mixture of uh, chicken, pork, and, and uh, shrimp and a little curry sauce with uh, vermicelli noodles. They call them egg or noodles. Uh, and it is delicious. If you've never had the opportunity and you see it on the menu, eh, step out and give it a shot. <laughs> but it is really good, and it's very, very good there. And they do. Uh, they bring you a manhole cover of, uh, of uh, <laughs> Singapore May Fun and say, go to it. And, uh, and the price was pretty decent, too. So there are little things like that that you have. And, uh, you know, I, we were talking before we went on and, uh, about things over the years. Uh, I used to have a little book, and it would uh, have little places that like just like that, uh, where especially for me would be to get something late night because I'm a late eater. So I had this book with all the names of, uh, of uh, places that would deliver to me, particularly in Canada, which is maybe the greatest country in the world to try and get <laughs> food late. It's awesome. It's just absolutely <laughs> so special. Uh, in the States, it was fairly decent. There are still a number of places you can get it. Mm-hmm. But... I kept a kind of a, uh, a marking of it, and I had a little book. It was called uh, Blues and Booze. And that's, uh, <laughs> no, that really sounds a little crazy. But uh, all the blues clubs that I would go to and was able to fortunately be able to go to, I kept a record of, of where they were so I knew what to do, and plus the food, food spots. And then I had them all written down city by city. So uh, a lot of those uh, places are gone. I don't go out as much on the road anywhere near what uh, what maybe in the— earlier days but uh yeah you you'll do that and when you more you travel the more you'll find your little places that you kind of like and you'll gravitate to it and uh, you'll make your own book yeah <laughs> i know have to, have to own put little, edition yeah. too right <laughs> 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 i have to check with you first and make sure they all check out <laughs> but that that's been some of the fun part about being on the road this year and i know i, I talked to borky about it a lot too and he loves it i obviously yeah. enjoys every moment of it going back to his playing days and uh, for you, is there, were there any cities that you, you really looked forward to going to with the and still do look forward to going to with the Penguins? Well, surprisingly, I did like to go to the Western uh, Canadian cities a lot just because of the Blues situation. They're terrific up there mm. uh, with the clubs that they have. Chicago was always good. Atlanta was great uh, for the Blues. Uh, yeah, every city kind of had a, a little bit. Toronto didn't have too much, I mean, surprisingly. Uh, but the Blues are very big in Canada, and so it, it still it gave me the opportunity to do that. Uh, Buffalo, for years, had the Lafayette Tap Room, which was a great place and uh, uh, to go to. New York had a great place. Manny's Car Wash. I mean, there were a lot of good little places to go. Right. You know, they're not there anymore. So uh, <laughs> I don't know if it breaks my heart, but I, I'm, I do everything I can to try and get the, the Blues uh, in front of people because it's such a valuable part of our history and, and what has made music uh, a lot of it. I mean, you can go through and still folks may not be aware how much blues influence has been on the Beatles, the Stones, and all the way up the line, even to today, uh, where that music came from and, and how valuable it is to uh, to our heritage. And uh, so that's kind of what keeps you going a little bit. And, uh, and companionship and friendship and uh, a lot of laughs and a lot of good hockey games to call, you know. So that's the most important part. Definitely. And some of those good yeah. games, you talk about blues, I have to hit on music in general with that. Nashville must have been really fun for yeah. you a couple of years ago then for the Stanley Cup final. I mean, I can't think of a better, at least 
encompassing music city than Nashville, at least in the states, from the options that you have. Yes, and they have great places. And one thing that they really have down there, and they did, it's a little more commercialized now, yeah, Josh, now. than it was. And a lot of tourists, way, way many more than what was there when we first started going to Nashville, which was a, a diamond, I mean, to be able to go into. But what you have in Nashville, you had uh, was session players, guys that played for a living and played with in recordings and things like that. And they needed a place to play. And they just wanted to go out and they would play for nothing. They would play for fun on these stages in Nashville. And you'd go and hear some of the most unbelievable music. And they just wanted to have fun. Right. They wanted to be able to go back out and just like be able to perform. So that's what made Nashville so special. It still is. Uh, but maybe not on a weekend night. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not on you a know, weekend night. You know, not with a million tourists in town. It's okay. It's a little choir. There's there's a little place there called Third and Lindley that I think is still, I know it's going, uh, that has a lot of off the uh, off the, the, the main course. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a pretty good little place to go for, for music. And they don't always have blues, but occasionally they do. So That's good yeah. to know. Take those recommendations yeah. <laughs> down. Uh, back, back to the broadcasting, Mikey. I wanted to talk a little bit about, just for you in general, the, obviously, the TV side was a big part of your time with the Penguins and then moving to radio, as we mentioned, in 2006. A lot of times for when I talk to people around the league, just in general, everyone says that radio is harder. Not to toot our own horns here, but just because of the more description that you need in your game, that people can't necessarily see what you're seeing and hear what you're hearing type of thing. And I know Borky lends a lot to that throughout the broadcast for both of us. But I wanted to get your perspective on it, having done television for so long and kind of going through the the rise of television as well in, in doing broadcast to then coming over to radio and seeing, you know, the differences between the two and what, what it's been like. Because I have to imagine it's been a pretty glaring difference when you look at the two sides and how they've kind of ev- evolutionized. Well, this may come as a shock to people, but uh, <clears throat> not every game was always televised uh, in the National Hockey League. <laughs> and... Uh, Quite honestly, uh, you go back to the mid-'70s when I first came here, uh, they only did six games a year on television. Sam Nover was the broadcaster, and uh, 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 a dear friend, uh, Terry Schiffhauer, was working. Jack Riley was working with uh, Sam Nover. But they only did a half-dozen games, so I was hired to do radio. But I had done four years of radio in the minor leagues, and television, too, I didn't, uh, and simulcast. We were one of the first people that actually started simulcast uh, with the TV games that we did, particularly in San Diego, the last stop I had before I came up. So I, my background is radio and uh, pretty much trained in it. And I had a great mentor, and he's still working today. His name is Al McCoy. He's a broadcast uh, radio voice of the Phoenix Suns. He's the most tenured uh, broadcaster ever in the history of the NBA, and he goes strong, and he's still working the road. He quit. <laughs> he stopped, got off the road for a, a year or two. Uh, cut down and now he's back doing it so you never know you be careful i may <laughs> it's yours pick it if you want up. it mikey but anyway he he was I, I i was able to to gather a lot from him and learn about radio and the broadcasting art of it and so it's something that i really love to do and so it was a, a fairly easy transition back into it we did a lot of simulcast until uh, the early 90s or mid 90s when uh was taken over by uh uh, was, that was that KBL. Fox Sports? Then? No, it was before that. It was before Fox, I think. The one, but anyway, there've been a number of changes, mm-hmm. uh, and that's when they uh, they they went to uh, uh, the difference in the two. But 
uh, for me to come back. I mean, I, I still had enough going. And, I, you know, I, the radio part of it offers me this added bonus is that I can do the creativity, okay? Mm-hmm. I have the ability to create the game, and that's pretty special. That's, I call it a book, and it's a book, and it starts with the first chapter, and you don't know where it's going to go. That's the best part. And that's the beautiful yeah. thing, you know? And then you start to get a feel for it. And, uh, not, and the, the great part about it is no uh, two games are alike. So that's the beauty of it. And you kind of build off of it, and you can do that and work it chapter by chapter with your your feel of the game and be able to work it and bring it to a conclusion. Uh, and those are dynamite days, or w- moments when you can do that. And so that's what's kind of special really about working the radio side and why I really, really do enjoy that uh, part of it. Uh, it, it. It's all encompassing. I mean, it's all the same. But I think quite honestly, and I think I've told you this before, I don't know, uh, there, there is no real difference in the sports to actually broadcast them to me uh, with the, uh, the, the one exception. They're different uh, the way they're, they, they're, they're approached. But right. the, the, the focus that you, you have to use for broadcasting for each and every game, no matter if it's, if it's baseball, football, basketball, soccer, which I did four or five years, uh, it's basically the same. If you, have, you have to have concentration, you have to have focus, and you have to have a feel for the game. And those are all ingredients that, that apply to any sport that you broadcast. Uh, so hockey is just something that, that I was never thought I'd ever be doing. I didn't see a game until I was 20 years of age. I thought I'd be in baseball mm-hmm. uh, originally. Right. Uh, but it's, <laughs> uh, it's something that uh, it's still fun to do, and I enjoy it. And I think that's probably the, the key reason why I keep going. That's why play-by-play yeah. play is so fun. I agree. Yeah. Is that adrenaline rush of not knowing what's going to happen yeah. next and, and the uncertainty. is almost, It's it's not a, a scary uncertainty. It's an exciting uncertainty, and you're the one telling the story. Yeah, but here's the beauty of it, uh, and for you particularly now, you're going to get a couple more you know, games in, and you'll start doing. The real key to being successful, I think, in the broadcasting part of it is to have anticipation, and that's something you, you when you get comfortable and you start to feel it, and you'll know what that time is in your in your wheelhouse. Uh, that's the key kind of ingredient to kind of making this book even better. <laughs> and that's the beauty of it, because you can kind of feel what's going to happen. And when you can do that, you anticipate, and it just it works so much better. And you just you can smile inside when something does. So those are things that that you can have fun with. You will have fun with learning uh, more and more as you do broadcast. And uh, it's something that I wish everybody could experience. And it, it's so different because it's it just changes daily. You know, yeah. the games give you that opportunity to not have to check in, check out, <laughs> you know, and do the same thing every day. And I know I, I've been blessed, really. And uh, the good Lord gave me an opportunity to do that. And I am appreciative of it. And a sidebar to that, Wayne Gretzky Anderson is here recording us right now. He's finally finished his meal that he was yeah. holding us up with earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but he and I have sat here many nights when you and Phil have been doing the games, and we've looked at each other when you're leading up to something, and we can kind of say, just in looking at each other, something's coming. Because you can you can anticipate it in your voice, which I think is, as you're kind of touching on there, it's part of something that you develop into. But you do it so well, and it's so fun to listen to because you can almost feel a penguin's goal coming even if we can't see it just by how you you I, I don't know it's hard to describe you just can sense it you can feel it well if i've accomplished that that's uh what's uh, what's behind what i do so <laughs> that's awesome i mean yeah. that would be awesome for somebody to say that to me 
because, and I do, and I do think the use of your voice actually is such a key ingredient, too. Mm-hmm. We'll talk to you more about that as we go along, too. <laughs> but it is. It is just a pause here or a little inflection or a little thing. I almost, I do it subconsciously now. I, I know I've done it for so long. Right. And I get the, the feel of it. But it's something you can you can work on and you can feel. And then, you know, you kind of take it and, and it gives you that instant feeling gratification back uh, to yourself to say, I'm not okay with that. I didn't <laughs> do too bad. So, and even Wayne Gretzky Anderson, you know, the premier executive producer <laughs> now of Penguin Hockey, uh, could, could, you know, do that job. I mean, he, he could he could give it a shot someday. So maybe we'll we'll take him down to the booth. He has the pipes. He yeah, can do it. I'll let him get his feet wet uh, <laughs> to, to do that. We gave him a shot a little bit of work last year. So Yeah, that's true. He yeah, did do some. We, yeah. Might, we might get him in the booth for a three or four-minute span of doing play-by-play. <laughs> so that would be awesome. That would be pretty <laughs> awesome, actually. <laughs> that would be a must-listen-to radio. Can't miss. <laughs> must-listen, yes. <laughs> um, one one thing I wanted to also ask you, Mikey, um, when when uh, I remember the first year that I was here in 2015-2016 season, uh, Penguins played San Jose in the Stanley Cup final. That obviously had to have been special for you going back to Northern California, originally from Sacramento. Um, and I wanted to first ask you about that, what that experience was like. Because one, when you first came into the league, there was the, what the California Golden Seals were coming in, and, and that was, and the LA Kings came in. And that was pretty much it for a little bit out that way as far as California teams were concerned until, you know, the Ducks come in and the Sharks, obviously. Um, but that had to have been pretty cool for you to have grown up in that area to see where hockey had risen to and, and to see a team like the Sharks that, honestly, they probably would have beaten any other team in the East except for the Penguins that year with how st- stacked they were. They just couldn't yeah. match the speed of the Pens. No, it was a, it was a, a warming, really, uh, uh, moment for me, really, to be able to come back uh, in a native California, you know, five generation California to come back and see what had transpired in the time from when I first saw a game, the old California Golden Seals. And well, I actually saw a game before that. I saw at a, an amateur rink, uh, my second year or, uh, first year in, uh, in our college, the third, third year at Sacramento state, but I had gone down and then saw games that, uh, the Golden Seals were involved uh too but to just see how it developed and you know they left too so right. they were gone for a long time really the only team was the los angeles kings uh but to see how rapidly now it's just come along and and every place we're seeing these these cities nashville texas vegas, uh, Flo- vegas yeah. florida all these st- places where kids are playing hockey and coming out of there and being drafted and it's that's so special, you know. We have so much more in front of us. Right. You know, it's all there. I mean, really, to be honest with you, when I look at what the future of hockey is for America, it's it's dynamic. There's no reason why the USA should not be the best team in the world. I mean, as far as far as the Olympics or anything involved, uh, because we've got so many more people. <laughs> We've got 330 million people in this country. Right. You know, so <laughs> eventually I think it's going to happen. I mean, it really, it should be along that level because of so many kids that are starting to play and playing the game on a consistent basis. The coaching's so much better. Everything is involved. There's so many more teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a bright future, I think, for hockey, really, in America. Definitely. I mean, you think about the World Juniors the last few years. The U.S. have always had good shots. They won, I believe, two years ago. Last year did not, but. I don't think I'm not positive on that one, but they're always in the metal mix. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And obviously we know what happened at the Olympics this year, but you couldn't help but 
look at potential U.S. rosters and think about how stacked that team would have been if it was the U.S. team. And a lot of them are those younger players like the Austin Matthews, the yeah. Johnny Goudreaux, the Jack Eichels, those kind of guys coming up and making names for themselves. Yeah, and, and it, it, it should get better. It yeah. should get better. Right. I mean, I've, I'm kind of disappointed and it hasn't gotten better Right. at this point because of the number of people that are playing the game and going into it. Uh, it took a lot to get people to even play the game, really, in the 70s and 80s. Uh, to be a part of it. Now kids are lined up uh, mm-hmm. to play, and Sid's been a big part of that uh, kind, of, no question. kind of a rebirth here or, or the what's gone with the kids program and everything that he does. He's an amazing individual and uh, in what he does for hockey. But there's so many things around, not here, uh, not only here, but around the country, and I think it bodes well really for the U.S. to be uh, a dominant player in the, in the game of hockey. Yeah, and even yeah. going to San Jose last year, I remember we had a practice day there, and it was middle of the afternoon, yeah. I want to say, on a Sunday or a Saturday. Every, that's Sharks ice where I think there are four rinks in there, four sheets, yeah. every ice packed. Penguins had to wait until one of the <laughs> kids' yeah. sessions finished before they could get out there. So that was cool to see in the middle of January out there for sure. But one other thing about the, the final in 2016 that I wanted to get a little deeper into now, not necessarily the final itself, but I remember coming into the booth to do the intermissions there and your headset was on the on the um, notepad that you had there with your game notes and I was so scared to touch it because I was uh, that, that <laughs> first of all that thing is awesome <laughs> that thing is awesome that that's become I think part of your trademark not as much as your goal calls maybe but anyone who sees you you have this headset that you've been using forever and I think it's so great that you've been able to maintain it and use it and I was wondering if you could just let it let us in a little bit on it and the, the background of it well that uh, particular headset I just kind of go back uh, to the history of it, uh, was a headset that uh, was developed for uh, use for television in the early 60s. Okay, this, this, this one I have is later than that, a later model. Okay. And it was used because, uh, actually, even be- just before that, by airline pilots uh, for communication. And so they developed that, and somebody saw that, and then somebody decided, well, maybe that communication might work with television. And so they developed this headset for the camera guys and everything to, to, to be able to communicate with the truck. And then the broadcaster saw these camera guys, and the broadcaster said, wow, that's a pretty neat-looking thing. That's an, and all the quality is unbelievable. Do they, could you make one for the broadcasters? And guess what? They did. And uh, we had, I'd gone through a number of, of uh, microphones. A lot of guys, Dan Kelly, uh, God rest his soul. The mics that we're in front of now, this is what he used for every game. This is the type of mic. He just a stand mic mm-hmm. where you talk into it, and he would. I mean, that was the way. That's what he did. But a lot of guys were trying to get into things where they could put the thing on. And I have some, a uh, couple of old pictures of of ones that I had. But when this came along, it kind of just changed it, and it was really it was good. It was comfortable. The ones I have, there aren't. They don't make them anymore, obviously. But they had open ears uh, on the headsets, which is a valuable thing for hockey and, and crowd noise. Uh, the other ones that the other that the TV folks uh, worked work with were closed. They do have them. You can use them for broadcasting. But to me, the, the open ones, and I have only one set. This is the beauty. Uh, <laughs> one set of open ear uh, covers. I mean, uh, to, to use, and so they've got to last me my lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> I can't afford unless I can find somebody to manufacture these things and put them into a plastic uh, type of thing. And maybe I could, 
but there's the, so, the call right there yeah, for anyone listening. <laughs> so I baby him. I just baby him. <laughs> and uh, and Cindy Boyden, our uh, our engineer, has worked so diligently to keep them tuned up and, and working. And uh, we've picked up a couple of them along the ways and used parts to, to help uh, repair. We have a backup. Uh, Tom Keegan, one of the engineers, uh, has had a, a guy's a rat, rat pack. You know, they, they they put everything away. So he <laughs> had about eight or nine of these things uh, that he bought back 30, 30 years ago. And so I ended up getting two of them just to, to have parts and, and to back it up. So uh, they serve me well. They give me a lot of what I want, the sound that I want to work with. Um, and, and Josh, be honest with you, you're using, I know what you're using now. I use those a lot. I had to use them for TV. Uh, but when I came back, I just, I, oh, I was very happy actually to be able to come back and get that open air uh, sound. And be able to work with it, and I think it really it lends to making a better broadcast for me. I mean, that, I'm just being honest. So that's the way I, well, it works. it's it's yeah. it's a unique sound. It's your sound, that's yeah. for sure. And yeah. I will say this: when we when we went to a couple of the booths this year, Borky and I, there was the color headset sitting there, but nothing in the play-by-play. And Tom Keegan was one of them, and a, and he asked me, he said, "Don't you have your own headset?" I said, "No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> that's Mikey. That's that's yeah. Mikey." So yeah. I used the, as you said, the newer kind of one. But it was funny to see the people have that waiting for you when you get in there for the plugins. Well, I must tell a real quick story this year because I didn't travel uh, as much, but I did the, the playoff game. So we get all set, and we're uh, we had the first two games oh, there, right. right? Okay, so I know where you're going with this. <laughs> yeah, so we go to Philadelphia, and I get to Philadelphia, and I'm ready to go, and everything, and I open up my bag, and there's no headset because I left it in the booth. I hadn't been traveling so this much, <laughs> so I didn't get to use it in that first game, and that was that was not easy to get through that first game, but uh, we were able to do some things for the second one and get through that before I got home and found my headset <laughs> and used it the rest of the way <laughs> i do remember that because they had us kind of set up the three of us you borky and i in that row there and yeah that was that was an interesting situation but hey they won both games in philly yeah. actually they won all games in philly so yeah. with the old headset and the new headset you won you won every time out there uh a couple more things mike and then we can kind of wrap this thing up i just i know we talked a little bit about this year's penguins team but if we could kind of go back into them before we, we finish up here, just looking at the team. I mean, um, obviously you're coming off a, almost a 100-point season from Evgeny Malkin, Phil Kessel coming off a career year. I have to think Sidney Crosby, a guy who never needs any extra motivation, may have gotten a little extra jolt based on what happened with Washington this past uh, spring and summer. And you look at some of the newer faces coming in, and, and there's not many of them, but Jack Johnson's a huge addition to this team, I think, and you and I have talked about that, Borky as well. Um, but there are some pieces here that – you know, that are obviously still in place, but some nice pieces added to, to maybe help this team, as you said, hit, hover around 100 points or more to potentially be a part of that playoff picture. Yeah, and I think depth was, uh, again, the uh, and it is for most teams in the NHL. Let's, let's don't kid ourselves. I mean, Jimmy Rutherford knows that. Every GM knows that. If you can build uh, strength down the middle and have four lines to be able to do it, you're going to be in a better position to maybe win some games. So did they get away from it last year? In all likelihood, it wasn't as strong as it was the two years prior. Yeah. So they, they addressed it, and they went after it, and they're, they're trying to uh, uh, substantially make it better. And uh, it, it, gives, uh, it gives the Penguins what I think Mike Sullivan likes to do, and, uh, and that is roll four lines and be able to work with that situation uh, and have those players contribute. And if you can do that, I think uh, it's, uh, you're in a pretty good position. The addition, get him Matt Cullen, uh, 
you know, he's up in years. There's no question about it. Can he survive a whole year without injury? Um, he's done pretty well, mm-hmm. but there's no guarantee. Uh, Grant is another uh, player that they got uh, who could uh, make some noise here, and I think they've they've helped themselves uh, immensely as as far as having a little stronger depth down the middle. And uh, Riley Sheehan, I think, proved that he could play either three or four uh, for the Penguins. And that, of course, puts the question mark up on Derek Broussard. Where is he going to play? Right. And there are certain players in, in, in uh, this game that it's awfully difficult to find places for them to play. Uh, me, personally, I, I think that Broussard is basically a top six center, but he's not on this team, unfortunately. And that makes it difficult. So there might be some... Uh, some talk and, and a possibility of him trying to move to the wing, but where do you move him there? You right, know? and who moves as a result right. of him moving? Exactly. Yeah. So there's going to be some question marks here, and uh, 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 the young kids, uh, Daniel Sprong, I think is ready to play in the NHL. Uh, Aston Reese, I think, is going to going to he's a better player than maybe people think. Uh, Dominic Simone, they're very high on him. Mm-hmm. So there's some good young blood, and I think that's a key ingredient too to being a successful team is to have new, younger players in each year, uh, and hopefully that's the case for them. And uh, so, and I think Matt Murray's a solid goaltender. I think whoever uh, gets the backup role, uh, whether it be uh, Tristan Jari and or uh, the young kids. Casey DeSmith. Yeah, yeah. Casey DeSmith. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's going to be, uh, I think they're in pretty good shape as far as of what, they, what, what they've got to be able to uh, uh, to play these uh, pretty strong teams, really, in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I know we talked about this in the radio summit, but for our listeners that weren't there for that, the, the yeah. blue line, pretty darn good, too, at least on yeah. paper. I know it's so easy to say everything's good on paper when you're sitting here in mid-September, but you have to like the pairs, at least how they potentially shake out. And even as a seventh defenseman, Chad Ruedel's better than many teams sixth or fifth in that sense. No, no question. I, I'm uh, I'm pretty high on Chad Ruedel, and uh, – uh, particularly for one reason, he's a right-handed shoe- shooter, and yep. so that's a big, big plus uh, from his uh, standpoint, particularly on penalty kills and, and other situations like that. If you're going to cut back on Chris Letang's time, which has been the talk of the town, uh, <laughs> you know, he's been a, a penalty killer. He's been on the power play, so maybe some, some minutes taken away from there. So you've got to have somebody come in and be able to, to do that. Jack Johnson, to me, uh, and I'm not one that uh, that praises people too much, uh, but I really, really like Jack Johnson. Uh, I think he's got every ingredient possible to be a, a real big-time player here for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, he can skate. He is big. He is uh, fast. He can shoot the puck, uh, and he's the best four-on-four player that I've ever seen play the game And uh, since they've gone to that uh, that format, and now they're down to three-on-three. Three. Right. Uh, he makes things happen. He really does. He has a great feel uh, for situations like that. So those are little things that I'll keep an eye on him. And if uh, the Penguins' power play doesn't uh, produce in a, in, a, in a decent manner, he can slip in there and play on that power play, too. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, he's got a little experience playing with Sid, too. Uh, and I think one of the, the key things is for him is to be able to help set up other people and if his passing game is there on the uh, on the one timers, he might have himself a home there. <laughs> but uh, I, I think it was a, a good find, and I think all those the other young kids that Penguins have: Brian Dumoulin, uh, Oldie Matta, Justin Schultz. Guess what? They just got another year, and they're all young, right? Exactly. Of experience. They're all young. 
and that's the beautiful part about it. So that's uh, I, I'm encouraged uh, by what they've got. All young, and in the case of Dumoulin and Matt, under contract too. So that's yeah. that's nice for this group at least moving forward. Last thing, and then we're finished. I have to ask you because I have you here. You've had the summer to stew on it. Is there a new line coming this year? Are you not going to reveal <laughs> it to everyone out there? <laughs> Something brewing. No, but on the way in, I just got a chance to listen. And uh, something about blue suede shoes that made me just kind of take notice. So I don't know if that will be a case or not, but uh, <laughs> don't step on my blue suede shoes. For those of you that may not know where that's from, uh, we'll keep you in suspense. <laughs> <laughs> We're looking forward to hearing it all this year. Penguins start the season October 4th against the Washington Capitals at PPG Paints Arena. Mikey, you'll be on the call of that one. Looking forward to working with you again this year. Thanks for the time. Well, thanks for having me, Josh, and to Michelle and Sam. Thanks for having me on the scoop. And I'm going to tune in and listen, not this show, because I know what I said, but <laughs> all the rest of them. So take care of yourselves and do a, do a great job, and I know you will. Pressure's on. That's the Hall of Famer, Mike Lang. You choose. Four years talking about the real world or four years immersed in it. After a hands-on, career-focused education, Point Park graduates enter the workforce prepared to succeed. Professionally designed, that's the point. Point Park University, downtown Pittsburgh, pointpark.edu. Okay, so that was Mike Lang, the Hockey Hall of Famer, voice of the Penguins for decades here in Pittsburgh. And uh, so interesting, he's going to do pretty much the same plan he had set out to do last year, 10 to 15 games on the road per Mike Lang, all the home games, and obviously the playoffs should the Penguins make it, which we all hope is the case (laughs) once we get into April. But pretty cool stuff there from Mikey uh, overall. Yeah, amazing stuff and awesome to hear all those kind of cool anecdotal stuff about the headset and those broadcast you know the style that he was trying to broadcast with all those cool things and and I can speak to this just growing up in Pittsburgh and being from this area when you think Pittsburgh hockey Pittsburgh Penguins it's it's Mike Lang obviously on the ice it's Marilyn Mew but the voice of the Penguins has always been Mike Lang and always hopefully will be for <laughs> in perpetuity but you know when you think of the phrases you know he comes on and it's a hockey night in Pittsburgh and that got you fired up when when games were being aired and or you're listening to on the radio and He's a Hall of Famer for a reason, just a complete legend in this parts, and I'll even share a little story with you guys, but after we won the Cup in 2009, there was a big party with the team, all the players were there, all the staff, everyone, and I brought my cousin, uh, his name's Jesus, that's for real, <laughs> but uh, I brought Jesus to the, the party, he came with me, and uh, you know he's there meeting Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Brooks Orpik, you know, Max Talbot, all these guys, and he's kind of cool you know he's not really a starstruck kind of guy he's having a good time just enjoying himself month later two months later uh jen blana the senior director of communications of the penguins has the cup her cup day and jesus again comes to the cup day with me and while we're there mike lang's there and he sees mike lang and he's like hey is that mike lang (laughs) i was like yeah why he's like is can can i meet him (laughs) i was like really he's like yeah yeah please please i was like all right, but don't embarrass me. <laughs> so take him over. He meets Mike Lang, and the whole time he's just not necessarily shaking, but you know, a little nervous. And I see he's stumbling on his words. I'm like, bro, you met Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Jordan Stahl, Matt, you know, all these big name stars, generational talents, and you're nervous about meeting Mike Lang. So I think that pretty much tells you all you need to know about Mike Lang. I mean, that's that's how revered and loved he is in this town, in this city. I can remember the first day I started with the Penguins. I came to training camp, 
and I'd met you guys already, and I was in the locker room already. Actually, I think Michelle was kind of taking me around to a lot of the players and introducing me, and as I was waiting to meet somebody, I turn around, and Mike and Phil Bork are walking towards me, and I didn't grow up in Pittsburgh, obviously, as everyone knows where I grew up from. I can say it, Philadelphia, but I, <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> as they play the horror music in the background. What a heel turn. <laughs> that and is a Rocky heel turn. the song <laughs> yeah. yeah, I actually have my shirt off running up steps as I'm recording this. Uh, but <laughs> coming back to the PG version, uh, anyway, I was in the locker room, and I remember, like I said, I didn't grow up here, but I always listened to the radio because that was the only way you could hear other broadcasters around the league. Center Ice only became a thing when I was in college, but I remember when I was younger, like listening on the serious stream and stuff like that. And I would listen to Mike a lot, and mainly because I just thought he was awesome with how he did the the one liners and everything. And he came up to me, and I didn't. I'm not going to say I was shaking like Jesus was, your cousin, <laughs> which but, sounds like out of context. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's so funny. Although who knows? You know, Jesus and Mike Lang meet each other. It's, <laughs> But they're, uh, one, they're one and the same. In this yeah, time. Right. they are. But you know, I so when they came up to me, I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's Mike Lang and Phil Bork." And he's and I just remember Mike was like, "You're Josh, right?" I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "I'm looking forward to working with you." You know, I came to this city at the same age as you did, and I've kind of thought about that ever since he told me that. And I was like, "That's pretty cool." Like, I, I, I don't know. You always you never you always meet these guys, and I'm sure you guys are the same way. You ne- they don't have any they don't owe anything to you. Like you don't have to be nice. You don't have to go out of your way and make conversation, but they do. And I think that means a lot more than like even the working relationship, just seeing that they're decent humans kind of holds a lot of clout. Oh my. Just, just thinking 40 years, the next judge gets <laughs> off. We'll be coming up to you. And I'll like, walk the other, no, I'm just kidding. I'll go up to him. Are you junior Josh? <laughs> I'll be like, Looking do you know Sam's cousin Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> I met him at a cup party. But my experience, Josh, was similar to that, and I have Sam to thank for that. So I know I think that traveling with the team is something we'll get into on a future podcast because it's definitely an experience, and especially when you do it for the first time, it's honestly kind of terrifying because you just don't want to get in anybody's way. You don't want to step on anybody's toes. You're a rookie. You yeah. know, you're a rookie going on your first road trip. So Sam, uh, he sent me, uh, my first season was 2010-11, and he was staying back to work on the media guide, so I had to go on to, um, it was the New York Islanders, and Atlanta Thrashers actually was my f- first ever road trip. So I saw the last Atlanta. ever game, yes, at uh, Phillips Arena, I believe it's called. That's what it's called, yeah. yeah Mike Comrie scored the last ever goal, <laughs> I was there. <laughs> but it's funny because, Sam, you had actually made me an itinerary before I left and I felt like it was it was just so funny because it it felt like it was 10 pages single space with like all right take five steps and get off the bus walk 50 steps to the plane (laughs) grab your bag attention to detail (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, so it was just so specific and so don't sit in the fifth seat that's Evgeny Malkin sit in the sixth seat right yeah everything was you know laid out in this itinerary um, but it was just funny because, you know, I was getting ready to leave. And I remember Mike Lang uh, asked me if I knew how to get to the airport. And because we don't fly out from, you know, the actual um, main airport, we fly out from a different area. And so I remember he was like, all right, well, you know, I'll tell you where to go. And he, you know, tells me exactly like, you know, take this exit and, you know, go this way. And I had it written on a notepad because I was, you know, he's telling me and I'm scribbling down these notes because I, I think I had my Blackberry this time. So it wasn't as easy to write stuff down. Mm. But I kept it in the trunk of my car for, God, maybe my first like three or four years. And I always referred back to that. Whenever I drove to the airport, I always heard Mikey in my head telling me exactly where to go. And then we get on the road and, you know, it's, it's definitely, you know, I'm, I'm nervous, I'm stressed. And we uh, get to Nassau Coliseum for morning skate. 
and you know we all sit in the bleachers to watch morning skate and i remember sitting there and you know mikey you know and him and dan potion had done an amazing job of making sure i knew where to go inside the ring because once you get off you go to the you know the press room you find you know and all that stuff so they told me exactly where to go and i remember i was sitting in the stands and mike lang comes down and he's holding a folder because they the um, pr staff makes them for the media um, it has, you know, game notes, uh, league stats, all this kind of stuff. And they put stickers on the front uh, to tell them, like, uh, who it's for. So, you know, the sticker on the front said FSM Pittsburgh. And he crossed it out and he wrote Rooket on the front and handed it to me. And he's like, here you go, Michelle. And it's just, you know, it was at that moment I was like, I'm going to be okay. You know, I was a 22-year-old kid, first road trip, feeling overwhelmed, out of place. And this Hall of Fame broadcaster who, like you said, didn't need to give me the time of day, didn't need to, you know, do anything for me, is looking out for me and, and helping me out. And that's when I was like, you know what, I'm going to be all right here. Like, this is, he really made me feel welcome, made me feel comfortable, made me feel just like I kind of knew what I was doing. So it honestly makes me emotional thinking about it to this day, just how great oh. he was <laughs> uh, to me. Just, you know, this kid coming in here, he didn't have to do any of that. So yeah, I can tell you my first road experience with uh, Mikey. It was it wasn't my first trip or my second, it might have been my third or fourth. But I remember so you get off the plane and obviously it's a private charter, so you go around to the belly of the plane and the crew gets your luggage, throws it down, you grab it, you take it over to the bus, and for the first my first couple trips, you just left it there and then the bus driver came, put it on, it might have been just that city or that system. So it's like, Okay, that's what you do. You grab your luggage, you put it out right by the bus and the bus driver gets it. So then my third or fourth trip there, take my luggage, put it out there. I get go sit on the bus, waiting, waiting, you know, just hanging out. You know, again, this is like my fourth trip ever. Mikey comes on, steps onto the front of the bus and goes, hey, did anybody leave their luggage? So I'm like, well, it's obviously not me because, I mean, you can see where this is going. It's, like, it's obviously not me. I left it where it was supposed to, you know, like right outside the bus. So then no silence. Mikey walks off the bus. A minute later, Mikey walks back on the bus. Sam, come get your effing luggage and get it on the bus so we can get the hell out of here. <laughs> then I got to do the walk of shame because I'm just completely embarrassed. Get up and walk from the back of the bus all the way up. <laughs> Everyone, I can just feel darts staring right through me. Go grab my bag, throw it on the bus, and then come back on. But it was just hilarious. Like, I mean, I did it, he did it in a joking way, but like, it was just, I was obviously frightened. I was you know, <laughs> only 24 at the time or however old I was, you know, maybe 25. But first couple times traveling, it was didn't know the protocol, didn't know really what to do, and getting reamed out by the Hall of Famer was a was a nice way to say, all right, now you're part of the team, you're part of the crew. This is kind of what we do here, and it is it is a much more. I will say that there's two different buses. There's a team bus and then a media bus. The media bus is a lot more laid back and more. I guess you can ease into jokes a little bit and have a little more fun, whereas the team bus a little more serious in their in their behavior. So. It was kind of that nice welcome to the to the road for me. Well, it's funny now because however many years later, Mikey has made you into the bus captain. I know, yeah. So oh, yeah, Nashville. In right? Nashville, yeah, for Nashville Stanley Cup final. Well, again, another media bus to the hotel. And I usually like to walk to the ring, so I don't really bother with the bus. You know, I, I like to get a little bit of exercise in. And when we were in Nashville, Mikey came up to me and he said, you know, you're the veteran of this group. I'm going to make you the bus captain. you got to coordinate the times and coordinate with everybody. He's like, oh, man, I don't want the responsibility. <laughs> During the Stanley Cup final yeah, with, like, yeah, CMA then, Fest happening in Nashville. Yeah, like, I remember on Broadway. All the streets yeah, are shut down. Like, would, I'm going to screw this up. Yeah, we would be leaving the arena, and <laughs> we would just, like, 
it was just packed with people, right? Like, we're just like, where's the bus? Poor Sammy. We're just like, Sammy, help. We don't know where to go. He'd be like, all right, the bus is this many blocks away. Come meet us here. You know, then we get on. He's like, do we have everybody? And it's just funny to think that you went from doing the walk of shame off the bus <laughs> to get your bag to being to in the charge. Yeah. I remember. Yeah, he designated me the bus captain. He's like, well, now I got to handle this bird, you know? I remember, yeah, you coordinated it all. After they won, we were, what was it, underneath the convention center yeah. overhanging in an alleyway almost with all this chaos is happening on Broadway. We're like two blocks off and the bus is parked under an overhang and it's this little what was it, coach bus? But it was, yeah, it was like I'm a little luxury coach yeah, bus. Yeah, I'm sending a group text. They go out, make a right, yeah. go two blocks, make a left. He did coordinate it. You'll see us He didn't there. let Mikey down, that's for yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, and you guys mentioned Nashville when you were talking with Mikey, yeah. and that is definitely, again, another topic we'll have to get into at another time, how much fun we had uh, covering the Stanley Cup final in Nashville. A literal dream come true that we never thought would ever happen, and it did. So we'll, we'll get into that at another yeah, time. It was the dream scenario. Yep. But right, that is another time. He's always yeah, been supportive in anything that we do. Mm-hmm. You know, he's always telling us he, he read whatever piece we wrote or heard us on the radio, and we did great. And right, yeah, and yeah, he'd tell yeah if it was a piece we wrote, and he would say, "You guys did a great job. I know how hard you guys work," and just kind of positive reinforcement and really just encouraging us and uh, really making us feel like we were doing a good job. And it's just been awesome to have him, you know, really kind of guiding and, and mentoring all of us. Yeah, you, you know, you know that you make an impact on a lot of people. I feel like, I, and this past year traveling and seeing, going in all these booths and meeting these engineers that he's worked with, first thing they say before they even introduce themselves, "Hey, where's Mike?" Ah, <laughs> uh, not a, offe- not I was not offended by that. You're just kind of like, wow, you, the fact that these guys see 31 different sets of broadcasters a year, and the first thing they think of when Pittsburgh is coming to town is Mike. I, that also says. That it's it's he obviously reaches the fans. He's been a great broadcaster, a legendary broadcaster. He's in the Hockey Hall of Fame. But if the people you work with also feel that way about you, then right. I think that that's the most important thing. That's how I look at it, at least. Yeah, yeah. I feel like from from the road, he's always been uh, great. I feel like he's always you know, and even at home, he just does a good job of keeping like the mood light too. I mean, mm-hmm. there's certain times he's had me just busted out laughing with <laughs> one liner, like wisecrack. Favorite stories of him come from the road. <laughs> I mean, there's. I remember one night we uh, got into Columbus really late. It was after back to back. We might have got in there at one in the morning. Bus parks. We're all getting off. We're all getting our luggage, and I don't know what happened on the plane, but <laughs> he's got four wheels on his luggage, and one of them broke. So. Uh, <laughs> He pulls it off and he's pulling it along and it's like hitting the things like the dunk, the dunk, <laughs> the dunk. It's one in the morning. This we're getting in the hotel and it's just dead silence. And just this like you hear it. So he comes up and uh, I'm like, hey Mikey, looks like you might need a new piece of luggage. And he goes, Sammy, I got me a three-legged dog right here. It was just the perfect timing, the perfect phrase. Yeah, and from then on out, we we called his bag. Yeah, we called it the one, the three-legged dog. Yeah. From then on, does he, uh, he might even still have the three-legged dog. Say, there's <laughs> a possibility that, that got, I feel he's got going. the same suits from the '70s, and you know. Yeah. Oh, that's great stuff. Yeah, we were in uh, Winnipeg too, and th- when you get to a team hotel, they usually line up. There's two tables. The first table has all the room keys with all your names on it. So you go and get your room key. And the next table, depending on the hotel, will have usually water. Some will have Gatorade. You know, some will have fruit. So it just depends. And I think we got to Winnipeg and. Mike usually goes at the end, like, get, let's everybody go first. Again, the kind of guy he is, let's everybody go first. He always goes last. I remember taking the last banana in Winnipeg. 
and it was just an awful sin, and he won't let me hear the end of it because I guess he loves his bananas. <laughs> so I took the last banana. He's like, Sammy, you're always taking all the fruit. What do you got, three bananas in your pocket? I'm like, I got one. <laughs> but literally from then on, like every time we went to a hotel, and he's like, Sammy, you got to take all the bananas, huh? Aren't you? I see you eyeing it up right there. I'm like, I took one banana once. <laughs> I usually take an apple. <laughs> Why are you burning me like that? And then I forget where we were, but he got there ahead of us. And uh, I was walking through the line, and <laughs> I, I came to the table, and he just pops up from behind the table, un- unannounced, unexpected. He's got two bananas. He's holding my guns, and he starts pretend shooting me. <laughs> it's just, it so funny. Like just, like Michelle said, keeping the mood light, like, just things like that. And it was like, what a guy. Yeah. Oh, I think it was in Tampa. I think it was in Tampa. He yeah. just popped up on it. Like, can you imagine you're standing at a table and then Mike yeah. Lang rises from the... Especially coming in, like, in the wee hours in the morning. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was the thing. We got in... It was another one of those back-to-backs where we got in really late. I can't even remember where we were the night before, but, yeah, it was really late and waiting in line. And it's just dead of night, and Mike Lang pops up and just starts shooting you with a banana. Mercy. I wish Mercy. we could have caught that on Pets TV. <laughs> oh, that would have been funny. But that's the kind of stuff that makes him so special. And that's probably why we had such a good guest to start with. I mean, this is a guy that obviously was, is like an icon, not just in Pittsburgh, but throughout the NHL and obviously means so much to all of us. So it's cool that we get to start with him. And I actually feel bad for whoever our next guest is because he kind of set the bar pretty high and they're going to have some shoes to fill into. Yeah. I mean, like you said, he's, he is Pittsburgh um, and it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be difficult to top him, but. Uh, we'll see if we can on our next podcast uh, try to reach those same those same standards. Also, on that, when you you're looking for guests and you go to the guy, doesn't even hesitate. Hey, Mikey, would you do our podcast? Like, you'd be the first guest, and without hesitation, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's again, like Michelle said, he is Pittsburgh hockey. That's all you need to know about the guy. And that's how we start, and that's how we finish our first Scoop podcast presented by Point Park University. For Sam Kassan and Michelle Crecciolo, I'm Josh Getzoff. also want to thank our executive producer, Wayne Gretzky-Anderson, who's going to be putting these together for you all year long. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with our next podcast, but until then, we'll talk to you later. Have a good one.